1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. We have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence in the, in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. Because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God, and he hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Please, church, let's, let's pray. Father God, we come before you this morning, and we rejoice over these words this morning. That you are love. When we rejoice over the truth, Father God, that you have given us your spirit. And I pray this morning, Holy Spirit, that you would enlighten our hearts to truth. Father, that your spirit would would teach our hearts and would, would point us to Jesus. And that we would grow mature. And we would grow in understanding And most importantly, that we would grow in love today. We need to be taught this from you. So, Father God, we we exalt you. We praise and exalt the name of Jesus in this place this morning. Thank you for your word. I pray that you would bless and anoint the teaching of your word for the glory of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray and ask all things. Amen. Amen. Well, as, as you remember, uh, most of you are, are here each week, week in and week out. And even if you've missed a few weeks, the Apostle John likes to repeat himself in the book of 1 John. So uh, whether you were here last week or, or you've been here uh, just sporadically, you know that John has been building a case for love. That love is a significant characteristic Uh, of a follower of Jesus Christ. It's something that's important that a a follower, a claimed follower of Jesus Christ, that's one of the evidences of their life. So it's important that we're growing in love and that we're acting in love. And he's been, he's been, he's laid this out a couple of times and he's been talking about love and talking about what it means to follow Christ and saying things like there's no such thing as an unloving follower of Jesus, that followers of Jesus love each other Because they know God, and this was last week's passage, right? They know God, and God is love, and God dwells in them, therefore, they love. It's this logical sort of way of explaining why we love and and what this love is. It's love is evidence of the presence of God, last week's passage. And it's such a clear, logical flow. And John, of course, as he's writing this letter, as an apostle, as a church planner, um, he's, he's kind of got his hands full. He's, there's false teachers in the church. There's, these guys are unrepentant sinners that are, that are teaching uh, that you don't need to repent or there's no real sin and kind of dodging the whole sin issue. Uh, there's disobedient people claiming to be followers of Christ, people who clearly aren't following the teachers of Christ claiming to follow Christ. Uh, There's unloving people in the church, uh, people hating one another, hating their brothers and sisters. And so John is addressing these issues in this letter. It's it's a pretty heavy subject matter for John to be addressing. And John hits these things head on because Jesus and his ministry hit the same things head on over and over again. Jesus was very concerned that there were false followers uh, following him around physically, but also just their presence sort of d- displaying to, to other people what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so Jesus would clarify what it means to follow him. And he would say things like, if any man follows me, let him take up his cross let him literally carry an implement of death with him, meaning that your life is so, you're so self-abandoned and you're following of me 
that, that it's okay that you understand that you're being led to death. He would say things like, if you're, if you're not willing to, to hate your father and your mother and everything that's of value, if you're not willing to abandon your earthly possessions, literally giving up everything you have, even your life, he said, if you're not willing to do that, then you're not a true follower. See, Jesus hit this issue head on in his ministry, eliminating the option of being a half-committed follower of Jesus. There was no lukewarm option. There was no middle road option. It wasn't a multiple choice thing following Jesus. You're either a follower, and Jesus clearly defines what that means, or you weren't a follower. And so John is adamant about these things as well. Why? Why would Jesus care so much? Why does John care so much that, that people understand and follow Jesus as Jesus presented himself? Well, John, John clearly addresses that over and over and over again. Because if we get Jesus wrong and we get following Jesus wrong, then we're not really saved. We're not really of God. And so salvation is the issue. The most important uh, fact, the most important opportunity the most important reality that, that we as people can experience and know or cannot experience and miss out on in this life, salvation is at stake. And so it's significant. And so John addresses it. And last week's passage clearly states that the two main reasons for a Christian's love is that we're of God and God is love. And so when we're saved, God literally starts to dwell in us, John says, and we're vessels that are full of God. But before we followed God. And before we knew God, we were not able to love in this way. So this love that we have as Christians is something that's very different than the love that we had before we were Christians. This love is unique to God and therefore it's unique to God's people. And if God resides in you, then you now love. And, and, he, and he kind of asks that question, why would you be anything other than love if you have God who is love in you? And the other reason that John says that we love from last week's passage is because love is our testimony. Nobody has ever seen God. An invisible God makes evangelism very complicated and very difficult. How do, how do you convince people to follow an invisible God? And so John is saying, as you love one another, God is more obvious. You can see God when you see the love of God in his people. And so John says that if we love each other and God abides in us, then God's love is perfected in us, meaning that people can see this supernatural love that only exists in the person of God. And because it exists in the person of God, it also exists in the people of God. Why? Because God is in his people. And so it is our testimony. And so the world can see God clearly as it looks at the love of the church. Jesus said in the book of John, uh, chapter 13, he said, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so love, therefore, is hard evidence to the world that God exists and that God changes lives. Okay, I'm sure you remember that from last week, but it's important for us to kind of go back and understand that John was talking to the church about our testimony, that this is something that the world sees, that God is going to put himself on display and God is going to make his case to the lost uh, primarily. One of the primary ways he does that is by displaying his love, this characteristic that he calls himself. And he does that through the love of his people. And so it's this, this outward display of an invisible God in his people. And so we love because love is hard evidence to the world. This week's passage takes that a step further. And we love because, and, and this is what John is saying this week, love is hard evidence to the Christian that we are truly saved, that we're true followers of Jesus. Love convinces us all the more that God is in us and God is with us. And there's a whole bunch of awesome benefits and a, a whole bunch of awesome confirmations that we have as we dive into this passage. It's our assurance of salvation, and John methodically lays this out all through this book, but especially in these verses today. Verse, and let's look at 13 through 17. There's this clear sequence for us to examine. So we're going to look at it verse by verse. It'll, it'll be right up here. Um, starting in verse 13, he says, By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. 
See, this is a tricky point for some of us because some people say, okay, that's awesome that you have all this confidence that you have the Holy Spirit, Billy. You, 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 um, somehow you're able to know that and you're able to appreciate that and you're able to enjoy that, but I've never felt that. I've never been able to like speak in tongues. I've never felt the building shake and this rushing wind blow through. I, I can't physically measure that. So how do I know that I have the Holy Spirit in me? See, it can be frustrating to people. I've met with people that are, that are frustrated by the fact that they don't have these elaborate and these, these big and bold displays and outward expressions of the Holy Spirit. And since you can't physically measure it, they're like, how is that a point of confidence for me? But John lays this out as if this is, this is one of your main confidences is that God has given you his spirit, that God literally is in you. But keep reading. This is where it's so cool about John. He lays this out in such a beautiful way. Look at what he says in the next verse. He says, We have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So how do you know if you've been given the Holy Spirit? How do you know, to use John's language there, that God abides in you? Is there some mechanism that allows us to feel or sense his impulses? Is that, is that what he's promising? Is there a voice? Is there some urge that we all of a sudden have? What's John saying there? He's saying no. He says, if you testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. See, if it's your full belief, Christian, if it's your full commitment the trajectory of your life. You've, you once were living this certain way and now you've heard something and, and you're like, man, that is true. In fact, that's the most true thing in this world. And so I'm not gonna point my life this direction anymore. I'm now gonna point my life this way because of this truth that I've heard. John's saying that if you believe that and you confess that, that this is true for you, then you have the Holy Spirit in you. So you can't know this without the Holy Spirit convincing you of it. And so someone who's not a true follower of Jesus that might say that they believe these things, their faith isn't in those things. Their, their life isn't headed in that direction. They're not explaining those things in the way they spend their time, in the way they love people, in the way that they use their money, in, in the way that they worship God. And so John is saying, if you believe these things, and your life is affected by these things. If, if this is where your confidence lies, if you confess these things and you believe them, then you have the Holy Spirit. And it's, it, it's just that simple that God convinces you of what is true by the Holy Spirit. See, sinners are dead in their sin. They're blind. They can't see this. They can't feel this. It's not, it's not the will of man or the strong desire of the flesh to be right. None of that can allow us to truly know God. None of that can allow us to trust God. None of that can allow us to follow God. We can't know God by human wisdom. Look at what the Apostle Paul tells uh, the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 1. He says, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever. I will set aside... Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. So how do I know that the Holy Spirit is in me? How do you know that the Holy Spirit is in you? I know because I believe what can only be believed because it's been revealed by the Holy Spirit of the living God in me. God has appealed to me. God has made that case in my, car, in my heart. God has convinced me of a better way, of a truer truth. And we believe that God the Father in his good pleasure chose me. We believe that God's son Jesus in his own will revealed this truth in his life and in his ministry and in his death, and in his resurrection. And, and then we believe that the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to see and believe this truth is truth. So how do you know have, you have the Holy Spirit in you? How can you have confidence in your faith? How can you have boldness in your faith, knowing that God is with you? Because Christian, you believe the gospel. Yeah. 
You believe what is true. The most true thing about you is that you're radically loved by God. And God convinced you of that by sending his son Jesus to die. And that's tangible to you because the Holy Spirit ministers that truth in your life. See, the truth of the gospel is the slam dunk evidence of the Holy Spirit in our life. And John is saying that's something that's to give us confidence. And that's not all. Look at what he says in verse 16. He says, we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. See, I know I'm a Christian because I believe the gospel, which I can't believe apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. And not only do I believe the gospel, but I know this because God's love. I know that that God has love for me and I'm able to understand that love. I'm able to see that love and embrace that love. See, this is all an act of God's amazing love. The Holy Spirit has enabled me to see that. And so in verse 16, it says, we've come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. For God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. Isn't that a great assurance that we have in scripture? I love that, that that we can be convinced and we can be confident in the truth. That we don't have to live in this world guessing whether we're saved or not. And it's not simply what we believe. Look at the end of verse 16. It's, it's, this isn't a theology test. It's not what we believe. It says that God is love and the one who abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. So he's saying that you're going to know that you abide in God and that God abides in you. What? If you abide in love. That the Holy Spirit in us leads us to Christ, and Christ leads us to the Father. And what does that mean then? We're just constantly being led to love. We're constantly being pursued by a God who loves us. We abide in this love. The Holy Spirit has led us to that. And so, so far, John has explained that we love because God is love, and God is obvious when we love like God loves Okay, that's that testimony from last week. Um, John has explained that love is our testimony to the world. It's evidence of God, that God provides evidence. John has said that love is an assurance of our salvation, the assurance that we have the Holy Spirit, but also that love is our confidence before judgment. John doesn't doesn't just lay out this this confidence for the Christian in this life, but he says that there's also a confidence for the future. There's there's an assurance that we have going into judgment. In verse 17, he says, by this love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. So when the Holy Spirit has done his work and the eyes of our understanding have been opened and when we've been enlightened, as, as Paul says in Ephesians, that your dead heart is awakened and your blind eyes are open and you start to experience the reality of God. You start, to, you start to enjoy the presence of God. You start to see what is true and what is false. See, before that, we're blind and we can't see that. And John is saying that God comes and lives in us and our life is flooded with love. That's the, that, that's the, the, the truth about true followers of Jesus is that God has done all that in us and allowed us to experience him. And he says that when this perfected love flows from you, you will have confidence and you'll look forward to the day of judgment. That the day of judgment isn't a bummer for Christian, for the Christian. It isn't some, and this isn't some lighthearted scoffing at the judgment like I used to do. I used to have kind of a, almost like a cocky boldness that, that was, I would just say, well, I believe in Jesus, so I'm good on the day of judgment. See, John's saying it's not a theology test. You don't get confidence for the day of judgment in this life because you believe the right things, right? Because the Bible says that demons believe the right things about God. He's saying is this love is perfected in you as you abide in love. See, love is, gives us that confidence. If you want to have confidence on that day in judgment, you want to grow confident in your faith in this life, he's saying abide in that love. Love is the confidence we have. Love is the tangible proof that people long for so much. And how is love perfected in us? Back in chapter 2, John says this. He says, now little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in the time of his coming. He says, abide in him. If you want to have confidence, abide in him. 
Be in Christ. Spend your time in Christ. As you go through the day and you're considering the options that you have, as you're considering your, de- considering your decisions and your responses and conversation, when someone in the church bums you out and you have an opportunity to respond and you're angry and you're hurt and you're disappointed and you're not thinking the best, you right there, the Holy Spirit is saying, stop, Billy. Abide in love. Abide in me. Come be with me. I will give you the love that you need for that person. See, this love, when we, when we choose to abide in the love of God, it changes our life. When we choose to abide in Christ, this love flows from our life. And people start to experience the truth and the reality of God as, as they're being loved when they don't deserve it or they see us loving people who don't deserve it. This love becomes an obvious, an obvious exclamation mark on that title that we have as people of God. People see that we're of God. But furthermore, it gives us this confidence. When I start loving people like Jesus, believe me, I know that it's supernatural. When I start sacrificing, I know I can't fake sacrifice. If I do, I want to at least be acknowledged for it, right? (laughs) I might be able to sacrifice if I'm going to get praised for it. But to quietly sacrifice and allow God to be exalted in that, that convinces me that the Holy Spirit is at work in my heart because I know me and I know what God has done. And so it's this testimony for the believer. You see how John lays that out and how convincing and beautiful that is? We have confidence in the day of judgment. We have this boldness. We get to live our lives with no fear of Jesus' return. Never fearing standing before the throne of God. We don't have to be, you know, shopping and go, man, I don't want to be caught in the mall when Jesus comes back. What if I'm doing this? Or what if, we don't live with that fear. We don't have this burden uh, hanging over our heads. We're like, we're like John says in Revelation 22, where he's like, come, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. Why is that? Because we have this love in our lives. We see God at work. And the fruit of God at work in my life, just like the fruit of my work in my backyard on our garden, except for the dang gophers we have right now. But so they, they took a zucchini plant that was the size of a beach ball yesterday. It's unbelievable. Just like Looney Tunes. Just, you know. With that exception, obviously raw, raw spot. With, with that one exception, the fruit of my labor in the backyard has been that we have a section that doesn't have weeds. It has like tons of vegetables that are starting to grow out of it. And, and it, it's amazing to see life coming and, and bursting forth. And just in the same way, John is saying, in the same way, the proof that God has been cultivating and working and residing in our hearts is the weeds have been cleared away. And there's fruit. There's evidence, John's saying, all throughout this book, there's all these evidences. And in our passage today, he's saying that the most beautiful evidence, the most confident evidence that you have, Christian, is this love. As you abide in God, God's been at work. And how do you know God's been at work in your life? Because when I get frustrated with my wife and I want to cut her down or take the easy way out, and then, I, and then I just, all of a sudden, I'm like, you know what, Lord? I, I need to give this moment to you. And then I'm able to come back with grace, or I'm able to supernaturally not say anything, which is, which is usually enough for me to, to know that God's at work in my heart. But when my primary relationships are being affected by this supernatural love, it, oh man, it grows my confidence. It grows my hope. I don't fear the judgment of God. I don't fear that day when I'm going to stand before God because I know that I have the Holy Spirit in me. I've seen it at work in my life. I've seen how my marriage has been changed by that. I've seen how my relationships with my kids have been changed by God's love growing in me. And so I have this confidence. I can testify and confirm what John is saying here. And I know many of you in this room can in the same way. Doesn't it give you this boldness? And it gives you this confidence that God is with you and God is in you. And if you know your gods, your heart assures you by love and by obedience that characterizes your life. And if this is true, in chapter 3 of 1 John, John said, if this is true of you, that, that you abide in God, he says that you will enter into God's presence with boldness and confidence and ask what you will and receive it. 
And then in chapter 4, he says uh, that, that if you have this, you'll have this confidence in the day of judgment, you can look ahead to judgment without fear. Yeah, how amazing is that? We get to live this life without fear. We don't have to fear for the things that we need in this life. The things that, that cause anxiety in this life, we don't need to fear for those things. Why? Because this love that we have in our life convinces us that God is at work. And back in chapter 3, he says, if you ask anything, if you have this, this confidence and you're abiding in love, if you ask anything, the, the Father gives it to you. He provides for all of your needs according to his riches and glory that is, is a promise of the Bible. And so we get to live our lives free from fear. Why is this? How is it possible that we could live our lives free from fear? Fear defines the human experience in our modern age. So many of the decisions we make are fear-based. The way we, the way we, in, in, you know, we use wise terms like invest, but, but the, the way we panic, squirrel away money for the future, that, that, a lot of that is fear-based our whole life. We have fear for when we get old. And so we're like, man, I better store some stuff up or I'm going to be in a tough spot. So not that that's not a smart thing to do, but why would we allow ourselves to be motivated by fear in that? John is saying that this perfect love, he says in verse 17, by this love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. Isn't that great? What does he mean by that, that last little part where he says, because as he is, so also are we in this world. He means that the father treats us the way he treats his son, Jesus. It means that we have favor from the father. It means that when God looks at us, he's not looking at our sin and examining our past. He's not identifying us with our tendencies. He's not identifying us with our baggage from who we used to be or our baggage from who we tend to be. God doesn't, he chooses not to look at that. And when we're in Christ and this love is being perfected in us, he looks at us and and he chooses to see the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. And Christian, this enables us to live our lives without fear because we don't live under the gaze of an angry God any longer. We now live under the gaze of a joyful father. We are as Jesus is in the eyes of the father. And do you think Jesus could stand in, 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 on the day of judgment, could stand before God with confidence? Do you think that he could stand with fearlessness and boldness before God? Of, of course he can. But think about why he could. Because when Jesus lived, love was absolutely perfected in him. Obedience is absolutely perfected in him, in his life, and in his witness, his testimony. Righteousness was absolutely perfected in him. He pleased God in every way. God audibly expressed that pleasure on the baptism, on Jesus' baptism day. Remember that passage where, you know, the sky opens and, you know, cue the sunlight and the bird and then the voice of God, right? Like God confirms, I'm well pleased. This is my son. Listen to him. How incredible is it that we can actually go to the judgment and stand there before God as confident as Christ on the day of judgment. We can stand with assuredness, not like we don't belong there. It's not like we're standing before someone get on a job interview or we're standing before someone because, you know, we want to rent their vacation homes. You're like, okay, kids, clean your faces and, you know, put on, I'm going to find a tie or somewhere or borrow. And, you know, I want to, I want to look better. I want to feel better. We can come before the father with the confidence that Jesus would have as he stands before his father. How incredible is that? See, we will do that because in reality, we've been covered in his righteousness Jesus is God's son, and so are we. That's the beautiful thing that God has adopted us into his family as sons, and we share Jesus' confidence because when we get to that final accounting on that final day, and John says this in 1 John 3, verse 2, he says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet appeared as yet what we will be, but we know that when he appears, we will be like him. Remember that passage? See, he's saying, beloved, we're children of God, that Jesus is the son of God, and and we're children of God. We're adopted into that family. 
So like Jesus, in that same way, God views us as sons and daughters. He says, it's not appeared yet what you shall be. You can't tell right now. It's not real obvious what that looks like necessarily, except by this love. But he says, we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. We're going to be like him in that. So we can be confident in looking ahead to the judgment. Because when we get to that place, we're going to be made like Jesus. We're going to stand before God like Jesus could stand before God. And so what that means, and the reason that I'm making sure that, that, that you guys are real clear, that's exactly what John is saying. The reason that's important is not, but not so we can have this just, you know, esoteric mind blow, like, oh, the day of judgment, that's going to be so awesome. See, having confidence in the day of judgment gives me confidence today. Having confidence in the day of judgment gives me confidence when I go to love my neighbors in a sacrificial way. It gives me confidence when someone like me that has so little experience and no education to come up and preach before you. My confidence is not in me. My confidence is in the Lord and I have that confidence. God's given me that confidence. See, we can do crazy things. We can do unnatural things that don't seem logical to us. We can work outside of our gift sets and outside of our talents and outside of our, our education. We can go where God calls us to go. You guys have the, the blessed testimony of, of, of Jill and, and her going, going back to Israel right now. And, and it just got mentioned, you know, pray for my family. Okay, <laughs> I'm a father, all right? If my single daughter wanted to go to Israel right now, and I love Israel. I, I mean, I would go in her place. I'd be like, no, you know. I mean, yeah, we need to be praying for her family. We have friends uh, in Liberia right now, and there's this weird e- Ebola outbreak going on, and, and, he, and, and he's a doctor, and, and so we've been praying for them. I mean, people on the front lines serving God obediently with confidence. So we can see this confidence this joy, this transformed life, this love of God in the way that true followers of Jesus sacrifice, in the way that true followers of Jesus step out and say, I will go. I will go. Who's going to Liberia for the Ebola outbreak? I will. Who's, who does that? Not me. Man, that scares the heck out of me. But we live this life with absolute confidence. The next verse explains this further. 1 John 4, verse 18 now. He says, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. So what he's saying is if we love like this, if we allow the love of God to flow from our lives, If we allow this sacrificial love to just extend out through our vocabulary, to extend out through the decisions we make in our life, to descend, to to just flow out of everything we do, there's no fear. This is a perfected love. This is a mature love. This is a, a whole, a complete love. So we don't fear judgment. We don't fear the return of Christ. We long for it. See, God wants his children to live in confidence. God wants his children to live assured, a confident hope, it's called, that we would look forward to that day of judgment, that we would be stoked on this life because God is with us and God gives us everything we need. So God doesn't make our lives miserable here. He doesn't want us to live in terror of, his, of judgment, of terror of his return. And it's traditionally, it's been so just looked at in a funny way that the day of judgment and, you know, the day of reckoning and standing before God and that whole picture. And, and, it, and it, as a young person, not really understanding the love of God in a real way in my life, I used to really fear that. I used to kind of fear death. Like, I don't really want to die. I mean, I know kind of theologically... I knew enough to know that I'd said the right things, and I guess that there's just, you know, magically that makes me a Christian, and so when I die, I guess I'm going to go to heaven because I said something on one night, and I gave my life to God, and I kind of had a pattern of going to church, but I didn't really have confidence, and the proof that I didn't have confidence is I didn't have boldness in my life. I wasn't willing to step where God said go. I wasn't willing to display God by loving in a sacrificial way. I might strategically express generosity in a way that didn't set me back, 
But darn sure I got recognized for that. See, I wasn't displaying the love of God. And I didn't have confidence. So I didn't have confidence in God. Where this love is shed abroad in our hearts, as the Apostle Paul says. You guys know that passage in Romans where he says that the love of the Father has been shed abroad in the hearts of of believers? See, it's a love that God sheds abroad. It's a love that, that God gives us. There's no fear in love because perfect love casts out fear. This perfect love gives us confidence. It dismisses fear because fear involves punishment. And there's no punishment for the believer. There's no punishment ahead for the Christian. Why is there no punishment ahead for the Christian? Because Jesus bore the full punishment of our sins on the cross. And so when we stand in in judgment, like I've been saying, we stand as Christ, just as free as Christ would. Our sins have been paid for. And so there's no reason for a Christian to fear. And so we live our lives with confidence. He wants us to know in this passage and in this same way that nothing separates us from the love of God. It's a love that gives us assurance. And it's made more confident. It's made more sure in our hearts by this perfect love. So we get to enjoy this overwhelming confidence and hope and acceptance in this life. This love gives confidence to stand before God, knowing that we belong to God. We actually belong to God as sons and daughters. At at junior high camp this weekend, I I had the the amazing opportunity to share on Friday night. And um, it, it it was so, I've taught a lot at junior high camps, but this year, it just seemed like there's 100 junior hires, okay, which is like putting 100 squirrels into a cardboard box, you know, and shaking it and giving it sugar, you know, and... That's normally what junior high camp is, is kind of like because it's like after dinner, it's getting dark, everyone has their flashlights, you know, and, and it's just, it, it's, you, it's amazing. This, this year, um, on Friday night, I got up and I was like, you know, I just really felt that the Lord would, was, was calling me to, to just give them confidence and, and assure them that God loved them. And uh, in addition to what I was asked to teach, and, and I just felt that God, as I was sitting there praying on the side, um, I, was, I was taking these deep breaths. It was really humid and hot, and, and I, you know, I was just uncomfortable sitting there in the dirt waiting to go up talking. And, and so I was just taking these deep breaths to calm myself down. And as I exhaled, I heard myself say, I thank you, God. That was so good. Thank you, Lord. And, and I started worshiping the Lord sitting there in the dirt that I could fill my lungs with air. It was a really cool experience. And so when I got up front, I'm like, hey, I just want to share with you guys that God is, God is so great and God is so good. And we talked a little bit, just two sentences about creation. And I had him take a deep breath and then exhale. And praise God that he provided you with that breath. And then take another breath and then exhale. And praise God that, that, that he gave you that breath. And it was so cool to see these young adults sit with their eyes closed just like, Thank you, God, you know, like just connecting the reality of God and his creation with their ability to live on this earth. And it reminds me of the story of Adam and Eve in Genesis 3. Okay, they've sinned. They've clearly disobeyed God. It's significant to God that there be the opportunity for sin, that there be the opportunity to follow, to choose to follow God. And so there they are in the garden. They've sinned. All of a sudden, they're aware of their nakedness. They're aware that they've, you know, done, done all the horrible things they've done, and they're hiding in the bushes. And, and what does it say God does in Genesis 3? Okay, and this is us in our sin, hiding from God. And we know who God is. We understand a lot. Many of us were raised in the church, dead in our sin, lost in our sin, hiding in the bushes. And God pursues them. God steps into the garden in the cool breeze of the evening, the Bible says. And he doesn't just pursues them, he pursue them, he calls them by name. And then he pulls them out of the bushes, say, come to me. And he provides a way for them to know him. And guys, that's this perfect love of the Father. That's this perfect love that, that gives us this confidence that the Father loves us. God loved Adam and Eve, and he demonstrated his love for that one, the one creation that was made in his image. The one thing that God created that he breathed his own breath into, he pulls out of the bushes. In the same way in our life, God extends that, that perfect love. We get to know God because he first loved us. The same way that he loved Adam and Eve at the beginning of the Bible. We're dead in our sins, hopelessly lost. 
We were filled with fear, just like Adam and Eve, shaking in the bushes. And God shed his love abroad in our heart. Last two verses, verses 19 through 21. That would be three verses. Last three verses. It says, we love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. See, we love because God first loved us. God always extends the first hand in love. God always reaches out. God is the initiator of love. So what does that look like in my life? With God living in me, God dwelling in me, God perfecting this love in me. When I'm wronged, when I'm offended, when I'm betrayed, when I've been double-crossed, when I've been screwed over financially, deeply offended by another Christian, they've said something outright that just it was horrible and hurtful and offensive. Where does that leave me in, in my waiting for an apology? Where does that leave me in my, well, I'm just going to, I'm just going to like let them live their own life because I don't want to be hurt anymore. No, we now love like the father loves. We get to pursue the lost. We get to pursue the hurt. We get to pursue the offender because perfect love casts out all fear. We don't have to fear being hurt by people because we have God. God is in us. And so we love like God. And so the way we get offended is different than the way the world gets offended. Why does it make so much sense when people leave a church because they've been offended by Christians in that church? That seems to make sense to people. That doesn't make sense to me. The perfect love of God doesn't divide people when there's been an offense. The perfect love of God brings sacrifice. We should be competing to sacrifice in a good, right, redeemed way. There's no fear in love. We love because he first loved us. And the vital point in that, and the reason that that's so significant in my life, is that this eternal, sovereign love, this love that goes all the way back to the original sin, this is a love that is granted to us. This is a love that is given to us. See, children of God love others, especially other Christians. It seems like a really uh, deep point, but it's, it's actually very simple. That God literally takes up residence in true believers. He, he lives in us. He abides in us, the Bible says. So it should be easy for one follower to love another follower. It's, it's really a quite simple point. And so John says that if, if someone says, I love God, but he hates his brother, he says he's a liar. How could that be? For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God who's not seen. He's saying you can't claim to love the invisible God but not love the God that's in his people. You you don't get to pick and choose which part of God you get to love. You can't love the invisible Jesus but not love the Jesus that's in his people. You can't love the Holy Spirit on a special worship night but not love the Holy Spirit that's in his people. It's one spirit. It's one God. It's absurd. So this love is intended by God to be a testimony of God. And God's people love as God loves. As we love as God loves, people see God. And anyone who hates a Christian really is doing the devil's work. Whether they claim to be a Christian or not, anyone who hates a Christian is doing the devil's work. Anyone who gossips against a Christian and tears another Christian down, No matter how much we feel like we deserve to get to speak that way, to spread rumors that way, no matter how hurt we are, no matter how offended we are, no matter how right we are, we're doing the devil's work when we tear other Christians down, when we back talk other Christians, when we gossip about other believers. We need to be adamant about not letting that happen. That's not part of the fellowship. Only Satan wants to discourage and tear down other believers. We don't treat each other based on how others have treated us. We treat one another based on how Jesus has treated us. That's the perfected love of God that needs to grow in my heart. It's a personal confession. 
That's the perfect love of God that I've been challenged and convicted by God to grow in this week in studying for this message. See, a true follower of Jesus has this love for his brother. And this love is given to us by God for one another. And that's so good, such good news. Because it just, before I really knew God and was really enjoying and growing and abiding in the presence of God with my life, I hated really to be around other Christians because everyone just seems so fake and so phony. They called each other brothers and sisters, hey brother, you know, and, and they would just be just so generous and so gracious one day a week, but they wouldn't see each other all week long. And, and then as I, when I was in college, you know, and I, I just grew like some people do, super self-righteous in college, right? I just knew everything. And I started, you know, as my eyes were open to uh, the issues that surrounded me in the world, I started becoming critical of the church. I'm like, man, these people that say they love each other, but they don't do a dang thing about these foster kids. They don't do a dang thing about the homeless that live. I was in Orange County and there was like, I think all five homeless people in North Orange County lived in the part of Fullerton where I lived. And (laughs) And, and I used to be frustrated by that. I'd go down to Mexico and I'd come back with this self-righteous attitude. These people that say that they love other people, they, you know, what about the people that are, you know, hurting in Mexico? And, and I used to hate that, that, man, it just seems like Christians express this love with their mouths, but I just don't see that love in their lives. And what God has done in the years since has showed me that that was me, you know, first of all. But the great news in this passage today is that we don't have to fake that love. We don't have to pretend that we love one another. All we have to do is lay ourselves out as a sacrifice. That when we hear of a need that a Christian brother or sister has, we meet that need. We don't calculate it based on how much it's going to set us back. Our, Our heart is for someone else to grow and to benefit If someone is struggling and wrestling and we feel the Holy Spirit saying, help them, we help them. And so John closes this passage with this command just as he began it. It's such a a beautiful way that he does this. And he's done this a few times in this, this letter already. He says, this commandment we have from him, he says. This is a commandment from God. He's not saying, you know, you guys have, I have this reputation as the apostle of love. He's like, no, this is a commandment from God who you claim to follow. If you love God, you should also love your brother. He's saying that it's not just because I've I've got this thing for love. It's not just because this is my best advice to the church. This is my, you know, I see a problem and here's my suggestion on how to improve it. He's saying that if you follow God, God commands you to love. From the beginning, he's commanded you to love through Jesus's ministry. Right before he was crucified, he commanded his disciples to love and serve one another. And, And he says that if you're a follower of Christ, you love. A selfless love that wants nothing in return. An unconditional love, a love that accepts, includes, a love that forgives. It's a love that bears the pain of others, not avoiding the pain. Not like I'm going to drop something off and then get out of there before it starts getting heavy for me. I'm the king of that. This love is a self-giving love that practices sacrifice. That we're a people that praise, God, make me more sacrificial. Show me how I can sacrifice. This is a righteous love that doesn't tolerate sin. It doesn't tolerate half commitments and easy ways out. And this is a a true love. It's not merely an emotion. And John has laid this out very clearly in this letter. And it's important for us to recognize that there are loves, other loves that we get to experience in a relationship, the love that we can have for our spouse. That's a good, right love that God can redeem and make it beautiful. And, and it's this love that when, when we're overwhelmed with love, we do these wonderful things for that person. You know, God can make that love really beautiful, and it's a beautiful part of the human experience. That's not the love that John's talking about. The love that John's talking about is sacrifice. It's a whole, complete love. This is the love that's the essence of God that was manifest in Christ. If you want to know what this love is, read the Gospels because Jesus literally is that love. He's the best expression of the love of God. And Christians, this love is our testimony. This love is the assurance of our salvation. As we grow in this love, 
As we abide in God and we grow in this love, we become more sure of who we are in Christ. This love is our confidence in the day of judgment. That we don't fear judgment. We look forward to the coming of Christ. We could never truly have this love of God in us and not love others with that love. If we have this love, it's a love that gives itself away. And so perfect love is the mark of the true believer. Perfect love is the hope of the true believer. Perfect love is the confidence of the true believer. Perfect love is what casts out all fear in the life of the true believer. And so this morning, we have an opportunity to respond to God. To respond to the truth that God is love. And that God pursues us. And this morning, maybe God is pursuing you. Maybe you've been living on the outskirts of this love, not really, not really walking as a, as a true follower of Jesus. Maybe, maybe you're like one of those people that John's talking about that hasn't given themselves to really sacrificially loving others. But the Holy Spirit this morning has revealed opportunities and has revealed ways for you to make your hope more sure today, for you to grow in confidence Maybe the Holy Spirit is revealing ways for, for you to live as a witness and a testimony to the reality of God, the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ today by loving others. We're going to worship the Lord singing in just a minute, and I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, and men and women who are, who are responding to the, the voice and the urging of God today, abide in Christ. Abide in Christ. Whether you need to come and get on your knees and do that on these carpets, whether you stand there and raise your hands, whether you sit there in your seat, communion elements are up front. There's going to be a prayer team up here. We want to pray with you and bless you, encourage you in the name of Jesus. But please, please don't be one of those people that does nothing. Please don't be one of those people that hears the truth and rejects it. Please don't be one of those people that comes to church to learn more and not grow and mature in Christ. The opportunity we have today is to grow together as a family, as extended as it might seem coming from other campuses, but we grow together in a family and the way we grow is abiding in Christ. Amen? Amen. Jesus, we thank you for your word. Thank you, Father God, for your amazing love for us. This love that we know, that we've been convinced of, that we believe and we've given our lives to. When we know your love, because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so this morning, as we offer this time to you, pray, Holy Spirit, now that you would connect our hearts and our lives with the truth of your word, that we would grow, that we would mature in love. Pray, God, that you would, you would call those who aren't abiding in you this morning. Call them out of their place of, of fear. Call them out of their place of confusion. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would appeal to the hearts of men and women this morning, convicting us of sin and convincing us of the righteousness of Christ. We love you, God. The joy of our heart is to know you and be with you. And so now we just express that as we praise you in song. And we pray these things for the glory of Jesus this morning. Amen.